right eye dominant. 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 This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. And on today's episode, I'm going to have an extensive talk with a guest about a photographer whose work I just recently discovered, and I was really impressed by it. The photographer in question is named Sibylla Bergaman. Now, Sibylla Bergaman was a photographer active in East Germany for most of her career because this was the time when East and West Germany were two separate countries. And in fact, Sibylla lived in East Berlin. So she had been producing work most of her life. And I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that I knew nothing about her work until I came across it uh, on a trip to Berlin earlier this year. But I was also intrigued to learn more about the artist Sibylla Bergman, not only because I love the medium of photography and photo history, I also am very interested in European history and certainly uh, the Cold War that I grew up during the years of the Cold War and definitely had a very specific uh, perception or idea of what life must have been like living behind the Iron Curtain. So the fact that Sibella Bergman was a artist and photographer working in East Germany in a socialist environment, I was just really intrigued to find out more of what it was like to have those kind of constraints put upon you as a creative person and yet still produce what I would describe as a, a really uh, varied and impressive body of work. And so that's where we're going with today's conversation. I have a guest on this episode. Her name is Ina Schmidt-Runke, and she is a curator director at the Kicken Gallery in Berlin, Germany, who happens to handle uh, photographs from the estate of Sibylla Bergman. And so I had lots of questions, and Ina had lots of answers for me. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation with you today. Uh, I will definitely share links to some of the photos that we discuss in the show notes. But for now, let's jump into the conversation regarding Sibylla Bergman with my guest, Ina Schmidt-Bronke. Ina, thank you for joining us today. Could you start off by just giving a little bit of a background of who you are and uh, why we're talking about the work of Sibylla Bergman today? Okay, yes. Um, hello, welcome. My name is Ina Schmidt-Runke and um, I have been um, a director at uh, Kicken Berlin Gallery for 10 plus years or so. I've been uh, working um, for Kicken Gallery for, I think, more than 15 years now. So um, our gallery was founded in the mid-1970s by, by Rudolf Kicken. And uh, so it was founded in, in Aachen near Cologne. And um, at that time, so, so it was, was quite unusual to, um, or the idea of dealing with photography or even regarding photography as an art and uh, worthy of um, being exhibited or collected and exhibited in museums and private collection was was quite a new one or at least in in Germany or in Europe and so Rudolf was was really um, a pioneer in the time uh, in the photography scene in in Europe uh, we have a focus on the 1920s um, avant-garde photography european surrealist avant-garde east european photography as well as photography movements of the 50s and 60s in in europe uh, since um, about 2008 2010 we also have a focus on east german photography so something that we will be talking about today yeah um, a little bit more and 
and uh, so I'm I am I'm now a, a curator and director here at uh, Kicken. Great. Well, mm -hmm. thanks for that introduction and giving us uh, some background on the the Kicken Gallery. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation today was because I traveled to Berlin in August and happened to be at a museum seeing some exhibits, and that was the Berlinischer Gallery. I apologize if my pronunciation is not perfect. Yeah, and, no, it's and so uh, what was interesting to me about that show and, and why I'm, I'm glad we're talking today is I had no idea that there was a photography exhibit uh, at the time uh, we were planning our visit to the museum and also that it was the work of a photographer who I was not familiar with, uh, a woman named Sibylla Bergman. And uh, lo and behold, I stumble into this amazing uh, photography show. Mm -hmm. And not only is it um, something, it's the, it's the medium that I love more than anything, but mm -hmm. a photographer that I didn't really know anything about uh, and such an extensive show uh, that not only the range of work, but the amount of, mm -hmm. you know, the, the length of her career. Yeah. I was almost blindsided that this photographer could exist that I really, you know, <laughs> didn't really know too much about. And and as I I, I grabbed a copy of the book when I left the, uh, mm -hmm. the museum, and I do recognize, you know, after seeing the show, and I realized I, I probably had seen her work show up, you know, from time to time, and it didn't. I I didn't know who who was making it, and 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 putting it all together. Mm -hmm. And so for me, just personally, this felt like it was this, I discovered this treasure trove of somebody. Now I'm saying that admitting an ignorance of somebody who obviously mm -hmm. was an important photographer that I just was not aware of. So um, can you tell me a little bit, and, and I obviously am going to see things from not only a Western perspective, but an American perspective. And so, and growing up in the days of the Cold War, for me, I had preconceived ideas of, you know, what life might have been like, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing with, you know, the Iron Curtain and Eastern Europe and, and what we were sort of uh, spoon fed in, in, in school. Uh, so I think seeing this show also, I, I I had to suspend some of my own sort of preconceptions of of uh, a, a photographer, a creative artist in the East. Uh, it just seems like this whole she she's an artist that was worth uh, exploring. So can you give me a little bit? Just give me a little bit of biographical information on Sibylla. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, to start with, maybe it's very interesting what you say, because as, as you were just talking about your perspective from like the other side of the, of the pond from, from the US, it's almost, or it has been almost the same for like the younger generation of, of um, researchers and photography enthusiasts and collectors and curators, um, because many of the East German photographers were not very well known or at least at the time the wall came down so it, this discovery has been has been going on pretty much maybe a little bit earlier in West Germany um, than the rest of the world but this rediscovering and uh, suddenly discovering of of these great artists that that um, had worked there all the time um, so went went on um parallelly um in in west germany so that's quite interesting and mm -hmm. um, what you say um so Sibylle, she was born in 1941 also um close to berlin or in a, in a suburb of berlin and um at first she trained um for a clerical job so and um subsequently worked as um, as a secretary mm. and she uh, at one point, um, I think that was in uh, in the late fifties. Um, oh well, in the meantime, nineteen forty nine, the GDR, the Second World War happened or finished. 
the GDR was founded in 1949 and suddenly we had two Germanys. So that was going on as well in her childhood. Um, she stayed in um, East Berlin. Um, the wall had not been built then. So that was built in 1961. But she started working as a secretary in the, in the late 1950s. And then started working for different um, magazines as well. And um, she um, started working for a cultural magazine called Das Magazin, the magazine. So there weren't too many magazines in <laughs> in in the GDR, but but there were some. There um, she met. Um, uh, um, she had a very good friend who was working as a journalist there. And uh, and she encouraged a young Sibylle to to take up photography because she had been always being interested in photography, but I think never really thought about it. A young woman of 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 eighteen or nineteen, so so she didn't really see that as a as a career path at at a very young age. But but then she was encouraged by her colleague to take up photography classes. And um, and she had met um, uh, Arno Fischer while working for this magazine. And Arno Fischer was already a pretty established photographer um, at the time. And he was teaching at the School of Applied Arts in Berlin-Weißensee at the time. And um, so she started, I mean, she was never, I think, officially enrolled um, at the um, school in Weissensee, which also is a, is a part of Berlin. But um, but she took classes with Arno Fischer anyway. Hmm. And um, so this did not only start her, her career in, um, in photography and herself, um, finding herself as an artist and as a photographer. But um, uh, she also uh, started a relationship with Arno Fischer and, and they eventually became um, the golden couple of, um, of East German photography or even of East German culture. So they stayed together um, until um, Sibylle's death. Yeah, so it was was quite a fateful meeting at the time, mm. and and she tried to find very soon. She tried to find her her footing in photography, and um, became member in different artists associations at the time, which was also quite important because um, with the socialist government of the the GDR, you always had to navigate, or as an artist, um, to navigate your way between or the line between um, um, approval and um, but also finding your or approval of the um, of the government to be able to work independently but also to to not deny your own voice as an artist she also became a member in different artist associations of the time because that meant that she was able to exhibit her work and to get commissions for example different uh, magazines she made a lot of photo essays and worked for many magazines at the time doing fashion work and portrait work and uh, also was able to do her own personal photo essays or series or photographs at the same time. Mm. I, I want to go back to something that you just brought up um, and again from maybe we share a similar perspective mm -hmm. from a, a western viewpoint but mm -hmm. the challenges of of being a uh, uh, a, a photographer, an artist uh, in East Germany at the time, in East Berlin, um, you, you mentioned having to navigate certain uh, uh, structures of, of approvals or review or, and, and I, and again, excuse my probably uh, myopic uh, view of, of, of what life may have been like in East Germany, but um, it seems to me, based on her work and based on her career, that she did have a lot of freedom and liberty to um, travel or or get published or uh, even, as you said, uh, produce her own personal work. And I also noticed in the exhibit that there was some reference to 
uh, Western photographers who would come and and visit and spend time with her and Arno, and they had they were sort. You mentioned that they were a fixture in in mm-hmm, East mm-hmm. German cultural life. So I'm I'm assessing all of that information and looking at the photos, and it runs counter to what I would maybe imagine her life or just the life of an of an artist in, in the East at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how was, can you dispel some of those, those biases that I have, mm-hmm. or can yeah. you explain like, how did, how does this happen? How, how much freedom did she have? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say everything, everything is relative. If you look at her work now, it seems to be very natural and very coined by an artistic freedom. But a characteristic of many of um, East German photographers is, or East German artists, especially probably photographers, is that um, the the subjects they were photographing or the the, the subject matters, it's it's usually it's always a very private environment. So a lot of times, even Sibylle would photograph her friends or scenes on the street, very subtle, very serene, very poetic. But um, And I think one would think that this was um, also her intention. And I don't want to say it was not her intention, but on the other side, it would also not have been possible to um, to um, photograph other or more political subject matter. So you will find in all of East German photography, you will find the same notion of 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 a very private environment that is being photographed and very quiet and calm photographs, which I think um, or I'm sure um, also comes from the fact that. Um, they would have not been allowed to <laughs> take other kinds of photographs because there is, of course, um, she, she, of course, also Sibylle Bergemann. She wasn't um, happy with the situation in, in in East Germany, and she was also not okay with the um, with the government. But she found other ways of maybe applying some sort of criticism. But um, her works at time from time to time were also censored. So mm. there is a very famous or now very famous incident that one of her most iconic images, which was shot uh, as part of a fashion campaign for the fashion magazine in the GDR, which was also, it's just incidentally, was also called Sibylle, which was, it's just an incident. So it has nothing to do with uh, Sibylle Bergemann's name. Um, and she was supposed to photograph like an essay or fashion essay about a vacation, a group of young people uh, on a vacation on the um, coast of the, the Baltic Sea. And so, and um, they were supposed to photograph bathing suits and then she had this idea to to make a little story of it and to um and she asked the models to look like they were really in a bad mood and then she had this idea of they were going to on a vacation and it's raining all the time and so everybody's in a bad mood (laughs) so you find a number of pictures in the series i mean you could see the the lines of their mouths are really like facing downwards. <laughs> and eventually when when those um, pictures were supposed to be published, um, they had to be retouched. And uh, the line of the mouth of one model had to be <laughs> slightly um, <laughs> um, changed into a smile because the um, the censors um, felt um, that that it would probably project like the wrong image to the readers of the magazine because one could think that um, not everybody was always in a good mood in uh, in the GDR and so this is I think a very good example for how very fine this line was that um, that if you crossed it 
or if you cross this line as an artist in general um, more than like a couple of times, that could result in you not being able to work anymore uh, or you or even um, you're not um, being allowed to to be a photographer anymore. So. Mm. This brings up actually a few thoughts for me. First of all, one could argue that a photographer in the West uh, would most likely also face judgment or criticism, mm -hmm. most likely, though, applied through a more commercial, probably, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. perspective. So I could imagine that same photo series landing on the desk on a Western mm -hmm. uh, editorial office and they well why is everyone sad we want i mean it, it, you you can maybe skew things to fit a narrative mm -hmm. of like you know eastern criticism or mm -hmm. restrictions but mm -hmm. i think it'd be very easy to look at it the other way and think that or even photographers that were or artists at the time let's say in the 1960s in the west There was a lot of upheaval and social mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. resistance, especially among younger people and, and among artists that um, you you could very well say that their expression was uh, uh, oppressed or repressed mm. in, in, in just in different ways. So I think and that's what I find interesting about looking at her work is that in a lot of ways, she was able to navigate her own challenges. Mm -hmm. Not that anyone in the West is independent of, of their own uh, challenges. It's mm -hmm. just a different, mm -hmm. it just wears a different mask or a different hat, I guess, in, in some ways. No, I, I think you are you are correct in saying that that um, these things that somebody from a magazine can say, oh, I don't like the pictures, let's change them. Or, um, but I'm not sure if this this would always result in somebody uh, like losing their job immediately and um, the children or the relatives not being able to mm. study, for example. Also, also, so the, the repressions were, were very, very harsh in, in the GDR. Right. And um, I, I don't want to um, excuse also any behavior or so, but I think because for me, it's even hard to imagine life or as, as having grown up in West Germany, It is very hard to imagine uh, living in in East Germany, mm -hmm. and so yeah, so so uh, to, to imagine not being able to to travel widely or to choose your profession freely and uh, not to be able to express yourself freely, and um, so I think for her, so so she found a very good way of of um maintaining her independency and also yeah being able to exhibit her work to 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 have her yeah which was almost like a salon that she had with Arno Fischer at, at Schiffbauer Damm in Berlin Friedrichstraße as well as to travel so she had the chance to travel to um to New York and Los Angeles in 1984 um she could travel to um to Paris i mean always as part of those were all official trips for the um, Association of Fine Artists in, in East Germany. So she, she always won, was on a mission, but then again, she was always able to, to photograph uh, on those trips. And, and these, these photographs were, were published. And so, um, yeah, she, she always had a chance to, to express herself there, but at the same time, still playing by the rules of the um, of the government. Right. So on that note, I think that again, and you can challenge me on this, but if it, uh, I mean, first of all, I was in no way trying to minimize the, the impact of, of the, the, the level of, of oppression that, that people were living in, in the East. And I think that what I find really interesting though, is that From my perspective, just the fact that she was able to travel and you described it in this was in sort of an official capacity, mm -hmm. 
which is understandable. And I would maybe also uh, extrapolate from that that her uh, career or her presence may have reflected well on the East authorities, maybe mm -hmm. in some way that here is someone who's talented and, mm -hmm. and has created this sort of, you know, cultural life and, and, and is traveling and, and is this, you know, successful artist in a, in a, in an environment that maybe uh, some would be, you know, dismissive that that was even possible. Not saying that she was, you know, like uh, <laughs> being used as a pawn or anything. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. so here's my question, though, is somebody like that. I'm always under the impression that uh, your people who were living in the East had this. And I know this is narrow. This is narrow. But. Uh, you're in East Berlin and this desire to come to the West and she's working mm -hmm. in media and, and uh, art and culture and traveling outside and seeing mm -hmm. life outside. How does one not want to just, I mean, how did, why did she stay? Mm -hmm. why, mm -hmm. why, or, or is that, is that naive of me to ask that question? Um, no, I, I, I think absolutely not. Um, um, I think she had, um, she had a very rich life in, in, uh, in East Germany. So, and, um, her family, she, she had a daughter. Um, she had, um, she had this, this really large circle of friends there, also artists friends with, with whom she could exchange herself. And, um, and, um, I think they, they had, uh, a summer house outside of Berlin where a life was even a little bit more free and at some points it I think it was also a little bit of a hippie lifestyle mm -hmm. they they let and um but it was at the end it was always about photography it's it's quite interesting if you if you talk to other people from her circle like Ute and Werner Mahler so it was always at the end it was always about uh, discussing photography but of course they um she she had a very interesting life uh, in East Berlin and I of course, I don't know if she ever considered uh, staying in, in, in New York. I mean, it's interesting that you ask because I, I'm just now thinking about if she ever visited West Germany or, or not, because I can't recall any pictures that she took there. And I think she took pictures anywhere she, she, she went to. I think that wasn't really a, a, a serious question for her because she had a very yeah, rich life in, in East Berlin and she was able to work and she was, she was also able to, um, to influence, um, other artists, um, her friends, um, Anno Fischer, her husband or later, I think they got married um, a little bit later, but he was a, um, he was an influential teacher. So they really had uh, a mission there. <laughs> In, in East Berlin and uh, probably life wasn't always repressed like right. every minute every day right and again like mm -hmm. this is again I, I I think that's my bias of of what my perception may have been mm -hmm. of what life was like and and I think that's uh, an element of that makes her work so fascinating mm. is that there's a lot of freedom in her photographs mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. or or the sense that you know, for whatever restrictions she may have gone up against. It's like I asked, I'm thinking about that question, like, why would, why wouldn't she leave? And it's like, why wouldn't I leave where I am? I mean, you know, it's, it's almost, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's your home still. Right. I mean, you, right. I, I assume I don't right. know. You have your, yeah, your yeah. you have your social circles, you have your yeah. career, you have your family. You have, mm -hmm. it, it, I think what's admirable is that like looking at her work is that she, she created this, this life of, of images that maybe fly counter to that narrow perception that i I may be bringing to it. It was always gray and she, you know, had to ration her film or, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that. I mean, she definitely had to, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. No, but it's true. But one of the reasons, for example, that so um, I think all East German photographers shot in black and white was not necessarily that they thought that that was the best aesthetic for photography, but um, it was that 
uh, color film was not absolutely not available. So um, they continued to photograph in black and white. Sibylle, mm. I think as soon as the wall came down, she um, started to uh, photograph in uh, color and that, um, there's a yeah. there's a metaphor there then i think <laughs> <laughs> one of the other things that i wanted just to circle back on that you mentioned uh looking at her work and this is not reading the photographs with any political or social uh agenda to it but you mentioned something earlier that i found really interesting because it's definitely reflected in the work is that there is predominantly quiet moments in the photographs um her subjects are often presented in sort of their own lack of a better description a controlled environment mm -hmm. um which i can certainly uh see that relevance when you're talking about let's say a fashion shoot where one would think that most of that is a controlled environment mm -hmm. but also i think uh tonality wise or lighting or subtle expressions as you said with the the bathing suit story earlier one could make connections with uh, the larger world that she may have been living in or maneuvering mm -hmm. through just by virtue of reading the information that's in the photos and mm -hmm. i think it's even particularly evident when she's photographing on the streets even those photographs, there seems to be, there's a lot of space and mm -hmm. not necessarily uh, an overt reference to isolation, but w you, one could make the argument that one's life and one's environment is, of course, going to be reflected in one's artwork. But against sort of the backdrop of what we've been talking about, when you look at those photographs, it to mm -hmm. me seems like it was a reflection of of where she was and, and what she was trying to, to do with her photos. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It was a reflection of, of her situation or of many people who were living in the GDR. But I think it was also a, re a reflection of her own personality. She was, um, I mean, I, I only met her um, towards the end of her life. She had very, very fine features. I mean, I'm sure you probably saw some portraits that, that mm -hmm. showed her uh, like a tiny person, very delicate uh, features. And, um, and she was... Um, supposedly she was a very shy person and had a very shy personality i think that also reflects um in her um in her pictures and it it's it also reflects um in the way that she approached her subjects but i love this this idea it was also um very um, nice displayed at the exhibition in the Berlinische Galerie and because the exhibition started with a display on one of her first series and it that uh, that showed uh, windows and her her daughter told me that she was so shy when she first started to photograph in um, in the yeah early 60s that she couldn't imagine really approaching people or to to sit with somebody else and take a portrait because she felt that was just too close a connection or too intim intimate a situation for her that she just couldn't handle it so she started walking through east berlin and taking pictures of of windows which again if you see them today seems to be also um, a metaphor for uh, the situation for so many people not being able to leave um, the GDR and somehow to be um, excluded uh, from from like freedom or from from certain parts of life. Um, this window series is 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 very strong in that aspect, and uh, it's very interesting to to know. I think that this also reflected her yeah her inner life as you suggested but also um also really part of her character and i think even then a little bit later when you see that um she goes out 
a little bit more and she takes um, portraits or photo essays of people in bars or um, on the street. There's always a very, at the same time, it's a very respectful distance, but at the same time, she's also very close with her subjects. I think she, she very well um, understood the situations of Uh, or the situation of the of the people and um i think that really shows in in many of her pictures yeah that's uh, that's a very interesting um observation mm. this this uh, idea of not exclusive to, to her but um photographers using a camera as a as an excuse or or a barrier mm. to enter situations or interact with people who they may not necessarily feel comfortable with. I, I just, the fact that uh, she was using a camera maybe to gain entry or to explore a world that she initially was so shy that, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, you look at her work and you think that, well, she clearly got over the shyness, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, she, 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 I think she, she, or she, she talked about the camera as being her third eye. Mm. I think, which probably a number of photographers um, um, do. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's very telling that she, uh, yeah, she used it um, probably as a again as a as a protection. But again, she was too curious and maybe too driven to 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 make a point and to to express herself that she um, um, overcame overcame her shyness in the end. Uh, can I ask you just a little bit about? Um, is it Ostkreutz? Is that am I? Yeah, yeah. Ostkreutz. Mm -hmm. So that was a photo agency that she uh, she was part of the formation of. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Mm -hmm. Can mm -hmm. you just give me a little bit of information on on what Ostkreutz? is how it started and what the significance of, of it is so um Oscars was founded um in 1990 by a, a number of uh, photographers uh, from east germany um sibylle bergemann arno fischer ute and werner mahler uh, being among them uh, harald hauswald Uh, half Zimmermann and um, a couple of names more. So those were all photographers or artists who had um, been working in journalistic photography. Is that a word? Yeah, photojournalism. <laughs> um, yeah, photojournalism. Yeah, mm -hmm. sorry. Before the wall came down and um, and had have a, a number of 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 good jobs there, and they just uh, or they wanted to make sure to have a representation that would make sure that uh, they would be able to work even in in west germany or in 1990 east and west germany were reunified and so there was only one germany again but um, photo agency also this is something that hadn't really existed um in in east germany and um so um they wanted to make sure that their kind of photojournalism would be um still represented in um magazines and and uh, newspapers i mean it was a it was a genius idea it became a very successful agency It also made sure or assured um, that those voices of East German photography were being heard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah. So um, and so there were many. So and there was a great interest um, in photojournalism from East Germany at the time, also in in West Germany, because I think it's yeah some sort the the East German. They really uh, continued the tradition of photojournalism that had been established in probably the 1920s Weimar Republic mm -hmm. Berlin, which was the the like the golden age of um, photojournalism uh, in 1920s Berlin. There were I think a hundred different magazines and also different 
photo agencies that were run by the photographers themselves. And um, so, so I think many East German photographers, they continued this tradition well into the 1980s and 90s. So, so it, it, I think for them, it made absolute sense to, to, uh, to manifest that in the found, founding of uh, Ostkreuz. And and so so this was a group of photographers who were associated uh, with each other before mm -hmm. the wall came down, but the agency actually didn't launch until afterwards. Or is that correct? Yes, the the, the agency was only founded in 1990. So okay. after, yeah, and and of course these for these photographers they they all came from the same circle. So they all knew each other mm -hmm. and, but they hadn't been like in a group before. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I, what I find interesting about that is that uh, obviously the idea of a photo agency, clearly not a, a new idea to mm -hmm. anyone at that time, but I could imagine that this circle of East German photographers in some ways, uh, staking their claim to a perspective, just like what you described. Mm -hmm. they, it's it's not like they they were continuing on a tradition uh, that had, you know, deeper roots in, mm -hmm. into the early twentieth century. But I think that in in a in a in a larger sense, the idea of and and please enlighten me on this. But from what I understand. In reunification, there was uh, a lot of, of this idea where the East would just be absorbed back into the West mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that there would be a loss of sort of that unique identity. And I think history in, in some ways has, has shown that. Uh, whereas the agency, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm, no, I'm not Ostkreuz, right? Perfect, yeah. Ost Ostkreuz um, is in some ways... To me, it feels like it's a, 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 a powerful statement for this group to, to mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe uh, establishing digging in your heels and saying that this we are we we won't just quietly be absorbed into or homogenized into a more Western perspective that our perspective uh, has value and and is unique. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's very well put. I mean, of course, you have of course Magnum as as like another great model, um, but to just maintain um, a certain de degree of independence, um, not only um, towards um, towards the magazines, um, but also um, towards maybe like the the big brother capitalist uh, uh, West Germany uh, taking over, which um, which um, was definitely um, a very realistic uh, threat. And so to be as um, to be so visionary at this point when I mean, it, it came, it all happened very quickly. So suddenly in 1989, um, the wall came down, so nobody really um, foresaw that, and um, and then um, in this sort of like happy turmoil, um, to 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 think about um, like the realities and to think about the future in, in such a clear-headed way, and to to think about representation and um, how to be able to promote one's own work. Yeah, very well. Um, so I think that that's um, that really deserves um, a lot of respect, especially in this this time of so much happening uh, so very quickly. The agency is still active today. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just the fact that that's something that they've established and been able to maintain, yeah. I think, is uh, is noteworthy. And uh, and so they um, a couple of years later, I I don't know the exact year. Um, so a number of photographers from the agency also founded um, the Ostkreuz Schule für Fotografie, the Ostkreuz ah. School for Photography. Yeah, so uh, quite a few photographers study at the school and. Um, and 
as sort of journalistic photographers or in the, in this tradition and um so that's yeah so that's also very renowned yeah that's wow mm -hmm. that's fascinating and i didn't know that um so why don't we just kind of wrap up a little bit uh and return to sibylla uh from your perspective what is her legacy what is her stature in in the world of of uh not only german photography or mm -hmm. european photography but just in, in general thinking about the the value of her work it's so it has been so i have been um following um her work for the last um or or the rediscovery of her, her work for the last um about 15 years or so and um it's very very interesting to see how like step by step um her, her work and the work of some of her fellow um east german colleagues um has been receiving more and more appreciation from other countries in europe and especially uh, the us um so her work is now part of of the collection of the of the moma uh, i think yeah the lakma had a, a big exhibition about east german art um uh, a couple of years ago it's part of the collection of the tate modern um many other museums and and uh, private or institutional collections so um i think the quality of her work is um that it's I mean, we've been talking a lot about these specific um, circumstances that that influenced her work, being in um, as being in East Berlin and um, not being really, really free. Mm. Um, but I think the the main characteristic of her work is and uh, is that it is um, so universal. Because if you if you look at her um, photographs from or the photographs that she took in New York, for example, or in 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 Paris, I was really curious because I hadn't seen many of her photographs um, from the U.S. Um, until I think one or two years ago, and I was really curious to see how would somebody who who lives in a, in a socialist state or socialist dictatorship if you want to say it how would somebody look at the communities in in the u.s in the 1980s or in new york so how would she look at it would there be some criticism but if you look at those works you you see or those images that that again she connects with the people and she looks she she rather looks at um social realities in a very subtle way she um takes portraits of people that necessarily or not necessarily um have to live in a capitalist state or in a um um socialist um state or environment she always manages or succeeds to find uh, the humanity or like basic uh, uh, human um characteristics in in her subjects and i think that's so universal and this is why she uh, her work touches uh, i think uh, every one of us even if we know about her specific background or if we don't and i think that's that's her her greatest quality well put and and actually while you were saying that I opened up the book and I, I came across some of her photographs from New York and, and, uh, you could, there, there's a consistency to her vision, regardless of, of where the photos were taken mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. sure. And to strip it of, of any context of, of social or political, uh, atmosphere, um, they stand on their own in, in, in artistic quality, mm. I think, uh, which, transcends and i think that's why i, I find her work uh, uh particularly uh noteworthy is because it's not just about this person who happened to be in a certain mm -hmm. place living in a certain system that uh that that it, it is universal uh mm -hmm. and and uh a a subtle deft uh hand i think is or, or i is really apparent 
throughout her body of work. So maybe this is a good point that uh, we can wrap up this conversation. Ina, thank you so much for for sharing your time and your thoughts with me and and my listeners. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. So there you go. My conversation with Ina Schmidt-Runke from the Kicken Gallery in Berlin, Germany, discussing the life and the work of a fantastic photographer named Sibylla Bergemann. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and I really want to thank Ina for taking the time out, uh, especially since we were talking eight-hour time difference, uh, to discuss the work of Sibylla. I'd also like to just acknowledge the thanks to the folks over at the uh, Berlinischer Galleria who helped arrange this conversation uh, with Ina. I'm very grateful for that. And I hope you take the time to explore uh, the work of Sibylla Bergamon further. As I said earlier, I'll definitely include links to her work in the show notes. Um, finding her work was uh, a very pleasant revelation for me, someone who I didn't really know their work, and seeing it in person was really a treat. Uh, and that just is an uh, argument for getting out and going to a museum wherever you happen to be because you never know what you're going to come across. And something that can inspire you for sure could just be waiting to be discovered. So I just want to remind you that uh, if you could leave a review or a rating on the podcast platform of your choice, especially the Apple podcast platform, that would certainly help me out. And if you have any questions for me, or if you want to explore other episodes, you can go to writeidominantpodcast.com. There is plenty of information there and a place to reach out and get in touch with me. So that's it for this episode. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I've been your host as always, Nick Toro Jr. And until next time, stay well. This podcast has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode is brought to you by the Conant Project and Yazar.